This presentation is from Managing Design 2017, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So I'm going to hand over to Mags. Um, Mags is working at DS at the moment. She has tons and tons and tons of experience both as a detailed practitioner, information architect, user experience work, um, a manager, a mentor, a teacher, uh, and um, just like tons of experience working with people. So she's going to tell us all about how we can do better at managing particular personality types. Thanks. So let me start quickly with who I am. Donna gave me a lovely... Um, intro in particular um, about my IA stuff so she and I basically laugh and say well, the two of us are probably maybe the only IAs in Australia there might be two or three others but that's it but actually what I'm focusing on now is I'm a UX management consultant um, and I help people change I help people move from being midweights to seniors seniors to the next steps and then seniors into UX leaders so one of the things for me is all about people. But what I'm going to start with is a story. And this is a story of a project from when I was working at the BBC um, many years ago. I started doing some drawing and I realised it was 2003. And this is a project about a skunk works, which became an actual real live project. And Skunkworks projects, especially at the BBC, which currency is politics, is the way for us to be able to get a small piece of work which could become something larger and it wouldn't be influenced by the politics of the organisation. To do Skunkworks, though, you're usually getting your best and brightest. So, who are they? They're rock stars. And in this project, I definitely had rock stars. But the project continued on, and it continued on to be a team of 18. So within the project, I started with a team of small team of four to a team of 18, and we started having our prima donnas and, of course, our Mother Teresas. So this rock star, he was fantastic. He came in, he understood, he understood the business requirements, he understood the program information. So our job was actually to define program information for the BBC. And he found the edge cases, he worked out what it would work for radio and music, what would work for TV, what would work for the internet. He drew it all together, he made it intellectually robust and he found those edge cases. On the other hand, I had a prima donna. Actually, I probably had a couple of little prima donnas, but the major one was a project manager we brought in, and she actually ruled by yelling. And it got to a point where we're all sitting there going, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? But she had a strength in setting up test teams, which we had never done before. And the last one is the Mother, mother Teresa's. And in that particular role, our Mother Teresa's were the majority of the, of the group. And these are the people who were plugging along, actually supporting the rock star, um, ignoring the prima donna most of the time, and actually making sure that the project happened. So what did I learn from all of this? Well, what I learnt was rock stars burn out. 
and they, my, my rock star burnt out after three months. I worked out that prima donnas actually can be used for one thing, but please, if you bring them in for everything, they're going to disturb how the rest of the, uh, the team works. And lastly, Mother Teresa's are fantastic, but they need a lot of feeding and watering as well. For me, this was one of my most seminal projects, and it came down to what was in interesting about this was I had previously worked and looked after UX teams. So I hadn't actually looked after a full development team before. And my UX teams are mostly Mother Teresa End, most of them, a couple of prima donnas. You are so rare to find a rock star. So I hadn't had to deal with the full complexity of managing these teams. So I came out of it going, this project is a success, but it made me realise that what I needed to do was to focus a little bit more about how I was dealing with each of the different personalities. And remember, these are only individual traits of each person as opposed to the person as a whole and how I would work with them moving forward. Rock stars. So let me start with each of them and we'll go through it. Robbie. So, what are three things that you think of when you see Robbie? Ego. ego. <laughs> Sparkles, ego. Drama. Think of, think, <laughs> absolutely. So the things about rock stars, and actually when you do this, you could possibly say, say the same things about a prima donna. thing about a rock star is they actually are really strongly intellectually um, solid. These are people who know their ideas and can get those ideas. So what you're trying to do, you've got these people, and as I said, this skunks works. These are people who understand and go into the depths. These are the people you need for inception. They're also hell to manage at certain times. So my challenges, and I've probably had three rock stars in my life, and I've been working in UX, well, in digital for over 20 years now. So the first one is they can actually be really quite dismissive of the rest of the team, um, implementing their ideas. So my favourite, I have uh, three quotes, which is, that was not my vision. You didn't implement it the way I expected. And if we had a smarter team, it would have happened more quickly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so the next one is they've expended so much time on uh, time and energy in the first phase of a project, they actually burn out and they need to hand over so that they can recuperate. Uh, it's a really interesting element of which you've got someone who is the lead and the person who's coming up intellectually and suddenly they go down. And lastly... They actually, under a lot of this intellectual power is someone who needs to be validated. So they need as much support from you, probably on the personal level, more than they possibly need on the let me get my ideas and actually build out these ideas more. So how have I worked with these people? And these are my suggestions to you. So firstly, I had to get the rock stars, and I've had to do this with a couple of rock stars, to work with the team and get them to understand and realise that these are people. And so they're not to be dismissed. 
and they're not people who aren't going to keep up their vision. We needed to move them from they don't accept it, they don't understand my vision and therefore how can they build it, to these people are just as passionate about this as well and I understand where their motivation is coming from. You really, really need to give them the freedom um, of being those rock stars. You need to actually sit there and go, you, I can see where your strength is and your strength is in the innovators of the com complex projects. So the ideal places are project initiation, R&D, uh, innovation and disruption. I worked with one in innovation and disruption a year ago. Um, and trying to make sure that they have the conditions of shining. The next one is to pair them with someone who can take the idea to delivery. I'm usually that person. I always say that I'm a COO. I'm not a CEO. And so I always know how to bring things to fruition. And in that project where I was, I was the project lead, so I ended up taking off, the, I led the whole team. There was a moment where I realised that what I had to do was to pick up when two of the four who started burnt out. And I had to keep that completer finisher. I had to become the completer finisher and I had to get it done. So ideally now when I look at this and I see these sorts of people, I realise that very quickly you have to be able to pair them up with one or multiple people to get them to that point. Now whether it's someone like me who will probably do a bit more product management or project management or UX or perhaps a really, really smart developer. These are the sorts of things you need to do for your rock stars. Remember that. These, these guys, you can actually make them very good as part of your organisation. And he was my example. I put 2003, then I rubbed it out because really it was so long ago. But this is what happened. Up the top, working all the time, there it is, bang. And we lost. I lost two of them for close to a month. And then suddenly they started to grow back in, but never got right up to the top again. And the, when we started to get into here, the realisation was that they're sitting there saying, I, I left this, I didn't realise I had, but I left it and the vision isn't there. It's not meeting my vision anymore. And it was almost like, ah, but actually you left and we had to continue on with the product. So your vision is still there. The, actually, the ultimate is still there, but the implementation is changing. Prima donnas. Prima donnas. Kim? Okay, so Kim, what do we think when we see Kim? Kim Kardashian, yes. Sorry? Difficult, difficult. Um, so the thing about these is prima donnas. I found a hard time I was working out who to put when it came to prima donnas. Because if I put a real prima donna, so I'm talking Kathleen Battle, someone like that who is a soprano or prima donna from opera, you'd all look at me going, who? So best I could get was Kim Kardashian. Bit vain. Not necessarily know everything, but usually have a spark of confidence, a spark of this is what I am and this is what I can do. What I have found with a lot of prima donnas is that the ability to extend that out is not necessarily there. 
but they have a need to be able to do that. And that means for an organisation that you actually have some problems there because you're dealing with a lot of ego, but you're dealing with ego that isn't necessarily matched up with the intellectual ideas. So the challenge, the first one, is they don't usually have the experience or the talent to back up all of their ideas. So if I go back to my example at the BBC, we definitely had someone, she had great testing ideas, which we'd never had, and she could do pretty good project management, but she rubbed everyone up and she really wanted to set the direction for the project because she was the project manager. And therefore, it actually had a lot of problems for the rest of us of actually saying, well, we already had defined our roles, and you came in and... So the aim there is to actually work on how we actually make the most of their skills. They build strife into their actions, interactions with others. Um, the team comes away feeling pelted with ego. So when you have someone who is a rock star, you will definitely feel that ego bit. You'll sit there and go, but they're so freaking smart and they're really good at what they do. And actually, when I take them, apart, take them away, we, we get a lot of inter good interaction. And sometimes here, with the prima donna, you just feel overwhelmed with the, with the ego. And lastly, the work may not be up to scratch, um, and there can be an overestimation of competence. So what does this mean when it comes to you managing? This sort of person is actually the hardest person for me to work with. I'm pretty empathetic. Those of you who've worked with or have been your teacher will realise that I... I can have a cry with you as much as anything else. Um, and so when I have to deal with a prima donna where I'm getting loads of emotion, I'm sitting there going, whoa, how do I deal with this person? And I have to admit, I haven't always been the most successful doing that. So these are the things that I have come up with um, and I've done a bit of research to actually work out how others do it as well. So remember that a prima donna may be starting with a position of low self-esteem and are compensating to feel superior. So what we really are talking about is someone who, who really wants to expand out, expand out, and I am the best, but actually are feeling a little bit unsure of, can I actually do the thing I'm supposed to be doing? For these sorts of people, it's strong expectations of work. This is yours, this is what you should do, and this is why I'm expecting you to do. And then stretch goals so that people aren't sitting there going, well, I've done my bit, now let me look over to everyone else. No, actually, this is what we need you to do. This is how we're going to move forward. Ignore their behaviours if it doesn't affect the rest of the team, but if it does affect the rest of the team, you need to actually manage them and you need to manage their performance. And this is horrible because, you know, most of the time when we talk about this, we want to be leaders, we don't necessarily want to be managers. It's in these sorts of cases we actually have to do that. And then, as user experience or designers, one of the things that we need to focus about is who is the customer. So I think with a prima donna, it's taking away from them. It's almost in some ways taking away from the team. It's coming back to who is this client, who is this customer, who are we as a joint group trying to support and help, as opposed to it's about me. And lastly, if you're working in this, go and find the people with the healthiest egos that you can. So that this will just be, that's that person, and we can deal with it or we can ignore it. 
And what I have found is for the majority of the time, you will bring a prima donna in and you will bring, take it in a prima donna out. You will use them for their, their area of strength and you'll bring it out. Mother Teresa's. Now, Mother Teresa, I have an interesting little thing about Mother Teresa. My uh, auntie Bernie, who is a, a, a daughter of charity ner uh, um, nun, they were the first order that Mother Teresa went into. And all the daughters of charity sit there and go, she forgot us after she became famous. <laughs> so that's Mother Teresa for the daughters of charity. Mother Teresa's, if we think about them as an art type, are people who are quite selfless and their focus is actually... Thank you. <laughs> They're selfless and their focus is actually, I am really willing to do anything and everything. So there is still a number of challenges with these type of people. They are at the, they are the bedrock of our projects, but... We have challenges because they have a lot of lack of compassion for themselves. It's all about giving, giving, giving. Now, uh, I'm a Mother Teresa. I put up my hand. Um, and so one of the things I've had to learn is self-compassion. And one of the reasons I had to learn that is that I had a really long period of illness. And one of the aspects was that actually I couldn't give and I had to ask for help. And so there's a real element where you sit there and go, I can't give any more. Actually, I need that help and I need to actually, I can only have a small amount of energy any longer and I have to be able to dole that out in a separate way. They can overshare and be annoying because they're so good and they're so good. And they take on too much and they burn out. So... I've had two different types of people for whom this has happened to me. Uh, I found that, find this a lot with juniors, that they take on too much. So in some ways, this is the sort of stuff that I do with them, which is I set boundaries at work. And I set the amount of time that they I actually can work on something. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Um, in my current job, I had a junior who actually, we could not stop her. I'm going to say, I'm looking at Amir, Amir and I, there was a moment where we said to her, it, she, it's fine, and three o'clock in the morning, she says, oh, the following day, I was up till three o'clock. <laughs> Nothing we could do about it, but we set the boundary, she was the one who did it, and she had to deal with the consequences. Um, you need to find structured ways for these people to actually give, um, give of themselves to others, whether it is pro providing a coaching service whether, whether it is weekly meetings, whether it is actually going to meetups. They want to give. So then how do we provide that in a structured way? Try and teach them to be a little selfish with their time and knowledge, and sometimes that only comes with, it, with age. It really does, it, age and experience. If you've got a family, if you've had, as I said, like with me, a, a, um, a, an illness, if you actually just get to the point where you're just a bit older and you sit there and go, I am not going to be part here past 5.30, you're trying to teach them that self, little bit of selfage about their own time and knowledge. And then leave them to fail. Only a little bit. Um, 
as I said, the designer there, I don't think she's going to be up till 3 a.m. again. Um, and they have to learn how to set their own boundaries. You can set as much structure as possible as a certain time when someone actually has to make the decision that they're actually going to stay within those boundaries. For them, it's I'm almost at full capacity at the beginning. And I continue, and I continue, and then I go up a bit more, up a bit more. This project was interesting because we, for the BBC, we delivered on time. We were three days late. It was amazing. We, we had to launch the Radio 3 website um, as part of... We were providing, doing program information. We were providing it in a templated form to the, to the Radio 3 website where all of the program information for every program that was being broadcast would be put onto the site. And they were relaunching and we, we were three days, we had to push Radio 3 back three days to make sure that we were comfortable enough with getting that back. Now that's just amazing. The problem was we pushed and pushed and pushed and at that time we delivered and we had a small little sprint 1.0 to cover the bugs and then everyone collapsed. And my bosses were sitting there going, okay, now it's July and we want the next version here. And I realised that everyone was exhausted and there was no way that we could just get to a next version. The mother, everyone was exhausted, but the Mother Teresas, who were the, be the bedrock of this project, were exhausted. So when I think about this now, there's an element of... There's, there was no such uh, I, um, term as continuous delivery at that point in time. So maybe continuous delivery would have been the point as opposed to a big bang delivery for the BBC. But there's that moment of you have to be able to adjust delivery schedules. You have to be able to adjust where projects go. So I've talked about these guys. I've talked about these guys as... I've talked about them as personas, archetypes, and we all have a little bit. I know I've definitely been a rock star, and I'll, let's put it this way, I've been all three at different points of time in my career and sometimes probably different points of time within a, a particular role. And so what I really want you to do is to start thinking about all of these people as the individuals. Because as individuals, as a manager, you need to look at that individual and try and work out what it is that we need to be able to do that to help them continue and be successful, but also make our projects successful. So, these are the things that I think we should be doing as managers. We need to understand the motivations of the person in front of you. We need to set the rules of engagement, set goals and boundaries, team planning and dependencies, be an active manager, and work with your manager, coach, mentor, or whoever on how the team or individual is led and managed. Now, I loved Glyn. Glyn, you and I, I just sat there and went, oh, tick, 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 tick. We've all got the same things going. I'm even going to talk about wolf packs. So, understanding their motivations. There's always something behind, and if you understand that, 
you have an ability then to be able to guide and shape and support. So, as usual, and there are many times we've had this conversation today, which is use your UX skills to design how you interact with someone. You know how to be empathetic. You know how to ask questions, how to uh, ask open, uh, open questions. You know how to do active listening. One of my most favourite conversations I've been having is uh, there is um, a thing called tea and empathy. Um, I think her name's Kate McCombs. I, can, I haven't linked it up here, but I will find the link for you. And she has a question that she asks, and I've started to ask the designers that I work with too. Do you want advice? Do you want empathy? Sometimes they just want to sit there and tell you about their bad day and what's happening and want you to nod and go, it, it'll be okay. Sometimes they want, you, they want to explain it to you and say, we want advice, tell me what it is. And actually what I'd like to do is add one more to it, so I've got three, which is I would like to talk about do you want to be coached through this? So the difference. Advice, this is what you should do. Coaching, what actually asking pertinent questions so the person themselves can find the answer. My favourite method is GROW. So if you ever want to look up that, you'll find GROW coaching method. And that's my favourite method because it goes through a, an, uh, a circle where people, you will ask questions, you will get people to get their observations, you will follow it up. So they go back and forth asking these questions until we get them to a point where they've got some alternatives for them to actually action. So understand people's motivations and, as I said, use those three things. Do you want coaching? Do you want advice? Do you want empathy? So what you want to find out is what's happening to this person right now? How does this affect their work? What do they want to do? Why is this happening? I had one person that I worked with at the BBC who basically told me that his boss had to die before he could get anywhere further in the BBC. And I agreed with him because both of us knew that this person was never going to leave. So he and I sat down and he said... This is, I'm, I'm being this type of a person. He was, I was getting feedback from the rest of the team that he was being a bit quarrelsome. And so he said, you know, I want to expand my skills because I'm, I know I'm going to have to leave. And so I said, that's cool. We know. We know now. What is your motivation? So you, let's, let us actually put what you're doing, and we'll do the next piece of work, is to focus on how do we get your skills up to a level when that you are actually extremely marketable, that you, I know I'm actually setting you off into the world of being a better UXer. So understanding his motivations, as opposed to me sitting there going, bad, bad, actually helped us work out where he was going. The rules of engagement. Um, I came across, well, I started to develop the rules of engagement after two horrendously horrible projects when I first moved to the USA. So I was working for a, a company called Argus Associates, so Lou Rosenfeld and Peter Morville wrote the Polar Bear book. We know Lou from Rosenfeld Media. And I went and worked for them. And we got th I got there, and it was a small organisation at that time, about 10 or 11, and we had two large projects. And I, was, I went in as a project manager, though, of course, you know, it was a project manager of IA at the time, 
which of course that was before UX turned up as a term, so we were all doing UX stuff. And we got ourselves onto two projects. It was two projects of three consultants each, and they were hard, horrible projects. I was the project manager of a hard one with a difficult client who um, didn't know how to work with, within their organisation, so we were dealing with politics coming out of our ears. My lead UXer um, was going through a marriage breakdown, didn't tell me, and decided the only control he could have was over this project, and therefore he hated me. <laughs> On the other hand, the other project, we uh, had a lead, pro we had a project manager who rubbed up the management of Argus and every single consultant working for him up. They were just sitting there going, I can't work with this guy. Now, both were successful, as in both projects, we got them out. The clients were, fi were fine with the projects. But we came out, and Argus was fantastic um, for being able to do retros. So we did quite hard retros, because they were horrible retros, because they didn't go well internally for us working together. And we came out of it going, okay, we need to change how we want to work. So one of my next projects was actually paired with the other lead um, IA. And she came in feeling, there was a little bit of PTSD. And she turned to me and said, I am not going through this again. We need to work out how we work together. The rules of engagement. So what we did is we did it twofold. We did a rules of engagement for the whole project team, which was three. There was, uh, sorry, there was four of us. Me as the project manager, the lead uh, IA, and then two other more junior IAs. And then she and I did rules of engagement for the two of us. And so we worked out how we would do escalation points and all the rest of it. But actually, the, the rules of engagement between the two of us were much more blunt you piss me off, we're going to tell each other and we're going to walk around the block until we work out what, what's best. We did a lot of walking around the block. But by the end of it, the client loved us, absolutely loved us. We loved them. We was an electrical controls product uh, company, so they make panel, bo panel boards and switches. And they turned to us and said, do you have any men working for you? Because all we see is women. But they were lovely. They were absolutely lovely. They just thought it'd be really weird that we're, we would know anything, and we didn't, about panel boards and switches. But at the end of it, the lead IA was so comfortable with what we were doing because we had, I had respected her, we had used the rules of engagement many times, and we then came out with a, with a group feeling bonded and feeling as if they could take on any challenge from that point onwards. So what do I usually put into the rules of engagement? And sometimes I write these down, and sometimes they're just a, a verbal contract between us. So how do we work together? What are our work styles? Who's the morning person? Who's the evening person? How much time do we need to give for editing and writing? Um, where's the escalation point? Conflict resolution, you piss me off, this is what we do. 
And then who's the ultimate decision maker? Which is really a hard one for a lot of these things because we do a lot of collaborative stuff and ultimate decision makers just don't happen. So that's something that, that I always do. Now, I was a boss. Uh, I was a boss. I keep calling them my teams. Look at just interest I do this. Um, I was a teacher at General Assembly, and one of the things I used to make them do before they did their Project 5, which is their client project, which is sit down in their little groups and actually do an equivalent of this and give them four scenarios, which I know are going to happen. Um, scenarios like someone doesn't pull their weight, someone disappears, um, they have an argument about this and the client is really a pain in the ass. And I get, got them to all sit there and go through the, the, um, the scenarios. And every time they looked at me and went, ha, 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 let's just yeah, placate her, we'll do this. Um, and at the end of it, I've had a number of people turn to me and go, oh my God, I know why you asked us to do this, because we needed to think about this, because this was going to happen. So the rules of engagement are a way to actually start to get them to work out what they would do as much as what we would do. Goals and boundaries. While we do the rules of engagement, which is how we work together, goals and boundaries basically say this is what you're going to do. And for each of these pieces of work, you need to set their expectations. Now, as a more junior manager, I have had to set, I, some, I a lot of the time did not set expectations. And I have memories of sitting in a cafe going, why didn't you do this work? Well, I didn't know I was expected to do it. And there it is. I hadn't told you that I expected you to do this. There was no boundary. So you wandered off and did other things. And I've seen this actually in the development team that I'm working with at the moment. They've got a more junior developer who I turned to the guys and said, have you set expectations for her? And they've gone, no. Okay, first thing. So what are they responsible for? What deliverables do they need to create? When are they due? Support needed to do the work? Any dependencies? What don't they do? The even really biggest one. What don't they do? Because, you know, they'll go off and do other things. Mother Teresa's do this all the time. I'm going to spread out and take everything else. The feedback I have received many times, which is, yeah, well, we wish you would have just focused on this. And in the team project, are they responsible for others' works and how will they work with each other? So when you start having people who are, se who are becoming more senior, what is their role when it comes to re reviewing others? It also is the element when you have someone who is perhaps a prima donna who's sitting there and saying, I need to review everyone's work. No, you only who we've decided you are responsible for. You can input, and this comes back into empathy, advice, coaching. What, what is our conversation and setting those expectations? Then I've got the team planning and dependencies, and this one actually <coughs> then broadens it out. And when I think about the projects... Um, the BBC, I was a project lead for PIPS, which was this program information. I then became an executive producer and I had 17 pro products that I, I managed underneath that. Um, and one of the things is that you've got more people, more teams, you've got larger projects. 
and you're starting to bring in people of your equivalent um, level within the organisation. And so what I find is that you may find some of your equivalents. So I've, I've dealt with a couple of creative directors who have definitely been prima donnas. And they, coming in and doing the team planning as being part of the team planning has helped set expectations. Because I can't sit down with someone as a creative director who's my same level and say, you're doing this and, I'm do and you're doing that. But if you do it as part of a team planning, everyone knows what they're supposed to do. And sometimes then you actually have expectations set because it's part of the project work and then there is always a point of escalation or a point where you can have an ongoing conversation of, why didn't that happen? Or, oh, we noticed that the marketing plan didn't turn up. Most of all, with all of these guys, you need to be an active manager. Now, manager, dirty word. We're all told we should be leaders. Um, and actually today, there's been a lot of discussions about being managers, about sitting there and saying, this is what I do, this is what you do, and this is how I help you get to that next point, whether it's let you fail or provide you that structure. Um, so we need to be someone that they can talk to, be an escalation point, uh, do model the behaviour we expect from them and shape how the team works. And I think this works into what Glyn was saying, was how do I shape, if I'm not really quite sure what my job is, I need to be able to shape so I can see their job as well. And lastly, and this also works in with what Glyn was saying, which was managing and mentoring, which is find your support. Don't pretend you can do this all by yourself. If you have someone who is a challenge, you need as much support on dealing with that person or people as much. You can't be the single point up the top where it sits there and absorbing all the energy and all the negativeness and not having anything positive or being able to have a, a, an outlet of your own. So don't pretend you can do this by yourself. And it's hard, it's exhausting. Mentally, it's physically and emotionally. You just sit there sometimes coming out feeling a bit... There's a barrage. So get your downtime, get your support as needed. And I feel that this comes in two, which is your peer group support and in your manager mentor. Now, the peer group element is really interesting for me because there's a certain point in the time that I was going to leave the BBC. I'd taken another role and I have this real memory of Les, who was the HR manager from Adelaide, and he grabbed me and the two of us, and he was... An, Another, another Catholic, and he sat down and I said, I'm really, really guilty, Glyn, uh, Les, I just don't know. I just don't know. And he turned to me and said, there's no guilt in this. This is business. You choose one way or another. But what they did to keep me was they put me on management training. And at the BBC, we had management training, which was at three different levels. There was the executives, there was sort of a mid-tier, and then there was team leaders. And I was put on the mid-tier, even though I was probably technically considered a team leader, because I was basically turning to them going, I need more management training, more support. We got the training. We went to a fabulous um, Ashridge, which was a great training program. And, but the thing that I loved the most was 
they had a peer group sessions they set up afterwards. And these peer groups were across the whole of the BBC and they were of the same level and they were people in radio, they were in people in news, they were in people in TV and we were all together dealing with people. They became my pack. They became the people who I could go to at any point in time and say, I'm having this problem. But, or and, we also had structured conversations. So once a fortnight or once a month, we sat down in a room and we chose, we brought our problems to the plate and we chose one or two of the problems. So we usually did it for an hour, so we could possibly do two problems. And we had to reserve a bit of time for reviewing what happened to the previous weeks. It was amazing that you actually started to have this group of people to have that conversation with. It was structured, so when we did the training at this um, management, consult, uh, management um, training place, they actually taught us how to do the, the, the groups. They put us together and they taught us how to do it. So suddenly I have a pack. I have a group of people who their role is to be nothing more than my peer to help me do my job. Find that pack because having that group of people takes away the pain of having to be by yourself dealing with others. And the last one is your manager or mentor. If you don't have, um, and something I've recognised actually is that a lot of people don't have managers and I see that when it comes to what used to be my uh, group of people who I was teaching at GA. I get lots of phone calls. I get lots of text messages. Can I just, can we just, can, I have, can we have coffee? Can we, I want to talk about my career. I want to talk about things. They don't have that manager or that support. And I suspect a lot of us here don't have that manager or mentor either. You need to find someone to do that, to provide you with guidance and to be your point of escalation because you can't take it all on yourself. So, <coughs> summing up. Rock stars, prima donnas, Mother Teresa's, they're all different archetypes. Every one of us will act in these different ways in different times. Some of them will be more, uh, I was going to say, they do it more often, but you will find people moving back and forth. Please think of all of these people as individuals and how we can work with them and how we deal with behaviour as opposed to as de dealing with them as a person who is this. The aim for you is to get the best out of them <coughs> and the best for your project or for your organisation. And so therefore there are tips and hints of how we can do that in here. And lastly, go forth and manage. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Managing Design 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.